Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. At the theater, more than the movies come to life. Movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. Pick me! And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, a very, very busy podcast this week. We're going to obsess a little bit on Andrew Luck. My guests this week are going to be Carson Palmer, who had quite a lot of pain in his NFL career before he retired. He can go through the mind of Andrew Luck uh, as Luck uh, made this decision, this painful decision, obviously, to retire. We'll also talk to Stephen Holder uh, from The Athletic. He covers the Colts and covers them well, has written a couple of really good pieces on the Luck retirement. Then uh, we'll go back into the NFL at large. I'm going to take you into uh, one of the fun times on my training camp trip. Uh, we'll have Philip Rivers when I did a, a quasi-live podcast with fans in Costa Mesa, California at Chargers training camp in August. And then finally, we'll do five minutes with a writer, Greg Bell of the News Tribune out in the Seattle area. Uh, Greg will give us five minutes on all things Seahawks. But first, uh, let's just give you two quick thoughts on the retirement of Andrew Luck. Uh, I've known Andrew Luck since the scouting combine of 2012. I never met him before he came out in the draft. But my memories of him are vivid, and they are um, they're, they're probably different than most, most people's memories of Luck. I'd say I've had 15 conversations with Andrew Luck in my life, and every conversation has included at least 30 seconds on books. What's the book that you've read that recently that you like? What, you know, he would say, what have you read? We'd also talk about beer a lot. He's a big, big craft beer guy. Now, he once told me, hey, listen, if you haven't been to Daredevil yet, you got to go to Daredevil. So that afternoon, uh, me and <laughs> my training camp crew went to the Daredevil Brewing Company in, uh, uh, near the Speedway in Indianapolis, and it was very, very good. But one of those stories about books, I think, tell, I think tells a, a good story about Andrew Luck. Uh, I gave him a couple of years ago a book called When Breath Becomes Air. It's a book about a Stanford neurosurgeon named Paul Kalanithi who wrote his memoir uh, while he was dying. And his wife, Lucy Kalanithi, basically finished the book. And after his death, the book was released. It became a New York Times bestseller. And I was struck by the fact that someone in death 
could have such an inspiring message to those he left behind on the planet. So I read the book. My, my wife read it first. She gave it to me. I read the book. I just, I was so inspired by it. I thought it was great. And I said, when I go to Colts camp, I'm going to give it to Andrew Luck. And I did. He didn't know about it, hadn't heard about it. And a week or so later, he finishes the book and says, this is, what an incredible book this is. And he had this thing called the Andrew Luck Book Club. He loved reading, obviously. And he basically uh, had Lucy Kalanithi on the podcast for the Andrew Luck Book Club. And uh, it was a, uh, she was so thrilled about it because she said, of, of all the interviews I've done, this is like the coolest one because we had season tickets to Stanford football. They lived out there. And he, he said, she told me that Paul would have just absolutely loved this. I called her the other day after Andrew Luck's decision, and she said, you know, I don't really know what would have been more of a thrill for me, getting a great review in the New York Times or by the Andrew Luck Book Club. So there's that. He just, his love of reading, he's just had so many things in his life that are, um, that were so big to him and so important to him and reading was one of them. The other thing is dealing with pain. By my calculation, probably 42 of the past 47 months, Luck was either rehabbing from an injury, preparing for surgery, or in pain trying to play through an injury. And I take him totally at his word. I don't think there's anything deep, dark, or nefarious about this at all. He was tired of being sore. There's nothing weird about this. There's nothing terrible. And I think if you were 29 years old, had $97 million in the bank or whatever absurd amount of money Andrew Luck has, um, was recently married and was expecting... Uh, your first, and we're expecting your first child, I think you would probably start to understand why Andrew Luck believed that plus all of his outside interests. That's probably when you would believe that Andrew Luck could make a decision like this and not look back. Will he return? No idea. I just, I don't have any idea. If I had to guess, I would say no. Andrew Luck has so many other things in his life he's fascinated by. He's an architecture major at one of the great universities in the world, Stanford. Um, but I don't have any idea. But just in case uh, that he does, I think the Colts would be interested. But as I wrote on Monday, Chris Ballard is going to do what's best for the franchise. And if Jacoby uh, Brissett plays great this year, I think he would be inclined to try to keep Jacoby Brissett and make him the long-term starter there. And if not, they'll probably draft one. Um, but I want to get to my guest before too long. Before I do, I want to uh, give you three little, four little um, pieces of advice in the next week or so. Um, I've got a podcast coming up next Wednesday. I'm going to call it the NFL Preview Spectacular. And I'm going to have Freddie Kitchens, the coach of the Cleveland Browns, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, the very newsworthy and newsmaking wide receiver of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Drew Brees, um, the record-setting, record-breaking quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, who's got a lot to say about life and football. I think you're going to absolutely love these uh, these bits 
next week, these interviews next week, these conversations that I did on my training camp tour. But I've also got three other things to tell you about. Number one, my training camp show, the NBC Sports Network, the NBC Sports staff has done a fabulous job culling down basically three weeks of information that I had out on the trail. And it's appearing in two parts currently on NBC Sports Network. August 31 on Saturday, it will appear at 11 and 11.30 p.m. Uh, back-to-back, two back-to-back half-hour episodes. And on Monday, Labor Day, it's going to be on on 10 and 10.30 a.m. On Labor Day, uh, the Peter King training camp tour coming right into your living room. Also, this week, a really good interview that I'm looking forward to hearing. Mike Florio and NFL Vice President of Officiating Al Riveron will talk, and I'm really looking forward to that because Florio is not afraid of putting anybody on his grill. And uh, I think that will drop on Wednesday afternoon, I believe. Be sure to listen to that on Mike Florio's PFTPM podcast. And also, Chris Sims Unbuttoned podcast this week has the AFC and NFC over-under win totals. And I'm sure I'll only disagree with Chris on about 27 of those. But... He'll make his arguments for them, and I'm looking forward to listening to that as well. And now my conversation with Carson Palmer. I remember thinking back to his, especially his 2015 season, I believe, when Pro Football Focus, who I've got a lot of respect for, you know, graded him as the best quarterback in the game, um, you know, for his outstanding season in Arizona. But I I didn't want to necessarily talk about how wonderful Carson Palmer the quarterback was, even though I know he'd love to hear that. I just really wanted to talk about um, what a quarterback goes through. And in order to play football, how much he actually goes through in order to play the game. And so Carson Palmer, uh, you know, basically in his career in Cincinnati, Oakland, and Arizona – I'll just give you a short uh, discussion of his injuries. In 2004, he missed time with a sprained knee. In, on the last play of his 2005 season, a playoff game in Pittsburgh, his knee got caved in by uh, nose tackle Kimo von Olhoffen of the Steelers. Um, he suffered a torn ACL, torn MCL, and torn meniscus on that play, and semi-miraculously he was ready to play at the start of the next season Um, he broke his nose and suffered a partially torn elbow ligament in 2008 causing him to miss more time he re-tore his ACL in 2014 with the Cardinals uh, ending his season and in 2017 uh, he suffered a broken arm in a game with the Cardinals and uh, in early in 2018 he retired And so today we find Carson Palmer living his new life, uh, his very non-quarterback life in Idaho. And uh, Carson, I really appreciate you joining me on the on the podcast. Peter, love, love, uh, love catching up with you any chance I I get and really appreciate you having me on. So when you heard that Andrew Luck retired the other night, you probably were stunned like everybody else was, but tell me your first reaction. Yeah, just just shock and, and was obviously stunned like like the world was. 
Um, but I, I totally understand it. I mean, I, I've been um, close to where he is uh, as far as being in, in that uh, rehab pain cycle that he talked about, but I wasn't in it uh, for as long of chunks of time as he was. Um, uh, and, and again, it's shocking. It, people can't believe it. They can't believe the money he's, he's turning down. Um, you know, the, the, the prowess on the NFL football field that he's walking away from that, um, that he dominated. I mean, he, he, he was one of the most dominant quarterbacks, um, of my generation that I watch play. Uh, and, and you don't look at his statistics and say that, but I, I being a peer of his look at, the teams he played on and the talent he had around him and looked at, at him as such a dominant player, um, especially early on in his career. Um, the, the first three years of him, him going to the playoffs and taking his team to the playoffs with the talent that he had and the talent he was playing against. Um, it's, it was really amazing to watch him do that. He also was sacked. I was looking at, you know, looking at why on Saturday when I, when I saw um, that he was retiring he was sacked a hundred times in his first three seasons from 2012 to 2014. He was sacked 41 times, 32 times, 27 times. And I remember it, it's funny because I remember watching cutups and watching him play and studying his game. He wasn't just taking sacks. I mean, he was getting pummeled. They were awful up front. He was taking shots from every direction. He was having free hitters come at him in the pocket with nowhere to go and getting just physically slammed into the ground and getting his face smashed in. I mean, it, it wasn't, they weren't, they weren't tic-tac sacks. He was getting smoked every game, every week. And I think that is why, you know, the 2012, 13, 14 seasons is why we're seeing him retire in 2019. But that, that early pounding he took, took its toll and had a huge effect on him. Can you identify and maybe talk a little bit about how the rehab process and playing in pain, how, how much of your career would you say, what percentage of your career did you take the field on Sunday and not feel a hundred percent? I would probably say 60% of my 15 years. Um, you know, there was always something, whether it be, you know, something little like torn cartilage in your ribs where every time you just kind of took one of those rib shots, you know, your whole body almost went numb to little ankle sprains or shoulder AC sprains in your shoulder, elbow issues. You know, there's always something at every position. And quarterback um, deals with the least amount of, of issues. I mean, offensive and defensive linemen, I don't think are ever really feeling 100%, especially you know, after you go through three or four weeks of training camp, week one, you should feel great. You just don't, you're beat up, you're sore, you're tired. Um, and, and you're mentally tired just cause you know, you have 16 more games plus the postseason coming of potential injuries and, and nicks and bruises. Um, but playing with pain and, and being in that pain is, it's just part of the deal. And, and you learn that from the first time you put pads on and, and start playing and, and peewee pop one or football that you're never really going to feel a hundred percent. But I, I think that the issue for him, um, it, it's, it, it, I, I think he's holding back a little bit. Um, I think knowing the little bit I do and, and knowing Andrew, um, just a little bit, I, I, I remember going from rehab, 
uh, and re, you know rehab every day. I remember just you feel guilt uh, from your teammates because it, it's it's different from the fans' perspective. As a player, you're not worried about what the fans are thinking about your injuries or what ownership necessarily is or the people that work upstairs in the facilities. It, it's hard when, when you are Andrew Luck and you are the face of the franchise, you're the face of Stanford University, you're the face of the Indianapolis Colts, you're the guy that everybody knows, hey, we, you know, we go as he goes, and, and everybody on your team looks at you in a certain light. Everybody on your team looks at you a little bit differently than every other position in that locker room. And I think the guilt and, and the shame, and, and in no way should he have ever felt guilt or shame for being injured. But that's natural. When you're, when you're so used to being the franchise quarterback, the face of the franchise, it's impossible not to feel that guilt. It's impossible not to feel that shame of, man, I, I can't believe Andrew's not, not able to play this week. I, you know, I can't believe he's still hurt. In no way is that, that guilt or shame warranted. But I'm sure that's what he felt. I know I felt it. And, and I had days, you know, I, I had one year, I blew my knee out midway point. We were 9-1. and one. We were the number one seed in the NFC in Arizona. I think it was 2014. And my, my ACL my ACL popped and, and my seed was over and, and I was going on IR. But I just remember walking through the locker room every day, coming to work every day after that injury. And just, you, you just... You can't help it, but you feel like everybody's looking at you like, oh, man, he's hurt. Here we go. And and that guilt hmm. and that shame, I know Andrew felt it. And and uh, he, he, I'm sure he wouldn't admit it, and, and he's talking about other things. But that, that guilt and shame from your teammates is uh, the most pain that, that he felt, aside from the shoulder and, and the ankle and all the different things he had going on. When you can't be out there to perform with with your fellow teammates, uh, and you're the guy that's taken up 22 percent of the salary cap, and the guy that's on every, you know, ad around town and commercial, you know, all those things that come with being Andrew Luck, and knowing the way that he was revered by his teammates, and knowing the way that he loved his teammates, um, I, I think that was one of the most difficult things for him to cope with. All the games he missed, the entire season of 2017 that he missed. Um, I think that weighed heavy on his heart. It really sounds like that's a great elucidation of what he must be feeling. And I wondered, a lot of people thought, and the Colts even, as, as I wrote, that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich appealed to him, just go on IR with the designation to return. You'll be out for half the season. If you're good, you'll come back. If not, hey, you know, you just stay on IR. And he was so fed up with feeling like crap that he said, I just, I can't do it. I have to get away. And I honestly think Carson, that some of this was done honestly for his own mental health. He was just so tired of feeling sore and in pain. And, uh, he just, he just couldn't go through it anymore. And I, I wonder when you when you take all this into account, like retiring two weeks before the start of the season, man, that is that's a heavy thing to do. But I take it you you sound like you understand it. I, I completely do. And and as as to you saying that he had the option to go on IR and 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 get right, I I, I think Andrew 
probably heard that from from Chris and from Frank and said, absolutely not. That's the worst case scenario. I, I don't want to go on IR and be here every day. And like I said, you, you walk through the facility and, every, and and you just feel like there's eyes on you. Um, and Andrew probably looked at that and said, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go on IR and walk through here injured, stand on the sidelines in a t-shirt and shorts um, and collect, you know, collect a check. That That's exactly what Andrew probably wanted uh, the least. You know, he, he's, he's a competitor. He, he loves the game. Uh, he wants to play the game. And for him to go back on IR like he was in 2017 and, and just sit on the sidelines and watch is probably the worst case scenario for him to have been in. What do you say to people, especially in Indianapolis, who are really angry with Andrew Luck for doing this at age 29 when the team has basically been built around him and built for him? I understand the frustration and, and the disappointment. Um, Andrew's a guy that is revered and was revered before this in Indy and loved and people named their dogs and their kids after and had his home and away Jersey for their children to wear to school. I mean, he, he was a superstar in a small town, but that is the right of the fan to be frustrated. I mean, we, we as fans, I, I look at, at the at the league now from a fan standpoint of the Cardinals. Um, you're allowed to be so into it and emotional about it and frustrated with it. Um, and and those fan, those same fans that are frustrated and booed and and all of that will will look back at some point and go, man, we we got to see Andrew play, and I got to take my son and my daughter to go see Andrew play. And, and on Sundays, we sat around as a family and watched Andrew play. So, I mean, that'll all come full, full circle. And, 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 and with such a great fan base like, like the Colts have, that'll come back around, the, the enjoyment and um, the appreciation for what he did. But fans are allowed to be mad in the short term. It's two weeks before the season. Um, I, I get it. And, and to Andrew's credit, I, give, you know, I, my, I take my hat off to him. He, he knew he was in a bad spot. Um, he knew he was in a bad spot mentally and physically, and he could have definitely taken the IR and, and collected a year's salary and sat back and watched. Um, but I really think the mature thing for him to do is really take a step back to get out of there, to take himself out of that situation. Cause it's the best thing for the team for Jacoby to take over and be the starter and be Indy's future, which I really think he, Jacoby's a great player. I, I think he's going to blow people um, away this year and, and the expectations that people have on him now. And when they look back and, and, and go, man, you know, I, I think they can make it to the playoffs. I think he can have a great year. I think when fans look back and go, man, you know, this really gave Jacoby um, the keys, the keys to the car, the, Andrew stepping away and walking away gives Jacoby and that team the best chance to move forward post-Andrew Luck era in Indianapolis. Whereas if Andrew is there every day rehabbing and everything, it's almost like he's the sort of Damocles over the franchise's head and over uh, Jacoby Brissett's head. You know, oh, well, when Andrew comes back, when Andrew comes back. And now everybody knows, hey, here's our guy. Brissett is our guy. Totally, and 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 more more importantly, for Jacoby to go out and have the year and the season he needs to have, he doesn't need to answer questions. Well, this is actually Andrew's team, and you know I'm just here doing the best. No, this is Jacoby's team now, and Jacoby can take ownership, and Jacoby doesn't need to feel like, well, I don't want to step on Andrew's 
you know, Andrew's got the long-term quarterback or the long-term contract. I don't want to step on his toes. Now Jacoby is free. Jacoby can go and play and take over and lead and talk and stand up in front of the team and say things when he needs to without having to worry well, you know, I don't want to make make it look like I'm trying to take over Andrew's job because this is Andrew's job still. This is completely freeing to that organization for this season, for the 2019 season. Jacoby can put, you know, Jacoby is the starter. Jacoby is the future. Jacoby um, can really just let himself go and, and, and take over that team and that organization. Do you know Andrew Luck well or at all? And have you talked to him since this happened? I have not, and and I know Andrew um, just from playing against him and and hanging out a handful of times. Um, but I know a lot of people that know him well, um, and and Andrew's one of the few guys. Everything you hear about Andrew is spot on. Um, I know that from from guys I know well that have spent a bunch of time with him. There's very few guys in the NFL, as you know, Peter, that everything you hear about him is true. All the good stuff you hear about him is true that you don't hear anything bad about Andrew and until now, which is just absurd to me. And it's driving me nuts hearing the criticism. Um, <laughs> but just Andrew is one of those guys that everything you hear about him is spot on. He is a goofy, nerdy, really nice guy that has a ton of interests and loves his teammates and would do anything. And, and, and again, I mean, I, this is so difficult. Um, for him because of his teammates. I, and, and, and no doubt he has a soft spot, a soft spot in his heart for the fan base, but this is really difficult not being able to be there with his teammates, with all the excitement after the 2018 season, the, the season that they had, the success they had building upon that and the excitement in that locker. And this, this, this has been extremely difficult on him from his teammates standpoint. He absolutely feels like I'm sure that he's letting his teammates down in, in some, somehow, some way, even though he's physically unable to perform um, it's, it's eating at him. It's eating at him from the inside and knowing, um, you know, that he, if he would have stuck around and, and be in the facility every day and sitting in meetings, it would have just eaten at him like it did in 2017 when he had the shoulder injury and didn't suit up and didn't play at all that season. We'll finish with this. So you're the first pick in the draft in 2003. Andrew Luck's the first pick in the draft in 2012. Both Pac-10 quarterbacks. You both come in with the weight of great expectations. Your career lasts longer than his. But you both are guys with multiple interests in life. Um, And I wonder if you had any piece of advice for him about life after football, what would it be? Well, I'm, I'm definitely still going through that. Um, I, I can only comment on my experiences and I've, I've had a chance. I, I was so fortunate and blessed to play for 15 years and I'm in a spot now where I'm just trying to see deal flow and, and looking at as many different opportunities from you know, from broadcasting and, and football consulting to um, all kinds of different things in the business world and, and investment world. So um, my advice is, is to kind of just take it slow. Like I have, I've, I've just been trying to see deal flow and look at opportunities and not jump into anything that I didn't truly want to do. Like I wanted to do football. 
I, I'm not currently in a position to do anything that I don't have to do if I don't really, really, really want to do it. I was so fortunate to do something I really, really, really wanted to do, which was football for so long, um, that I'm not jumping into anything too quickly. I'm trying to learn as much as I can and absorb as much as I can. And I, that's what's so exciting for Andrew is, is he's not all football. He, he's not all about football. It's all he loved and all he learned. And he, he's a very well-rounded individual. He has a chance to sit back. I, I take Any chance I have to take a meeting, I take it because I might learn something from it. I might mm-hmm. gain something from it. I might end up going, wow, this is, this is a lot cooler than I thought it was. And then dig into it and dig into it and see if it's something I truly want to do. And Andrew's got that opportunity and, and obviously going to Stanford, um, the connections and, and the network that he has through his Stanford connections. Um, you know, it, it could be something really interesting in, in the architectural world because that's his background, but he has a chance just to sit back and see deal flow and take meetings and meet people and learn about different, um, different businesses or different opportunities. And, really find something that, that he wants to do and he can take his time. He, he can find something that he can be as passionate about um, as passionate about football as he was in a completely different space. And um, I, I, this is not the last we're going to hear from Andrew Luck. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, he will go on to do something special and, and something great. And I, I can't wait. I'm, I, I was a fan of the way he played the game. I was a fan of uh, and respected everything uh, that, that he's been about, and, and I can't wait to see what's next for him. Carson Palmer, citizen of Idaho, former <laughs> NFL quarterback. I really, really appreciate you lending some common sense and some wisdom to uh, what's been a quasi-insane discussion over the last few days. Thank you. Anytime, Peter. Love catching up. So happy to be joined by Stephen Holder, who, along with his athletic, the athletic brethren, uh, Zach Kiefer and Bob Kravitz, have done a great job chronicling um, the news breaking and the aftermath of the Andrew Luck retirement. Stephen, 9.28 p.m. Saturday, the Adam Schefter tweet, Andrew Luck is retiring. What was your reaction and what was it like being in the press box just then? Well, in full disclosure, uh, I wasn't watching the game uh, because it was the fourth quarter of a preseason game. (laughs) And uh, I'll tell you exactly what I was doing. I was watching Miami and Florida on my phone, (laughs) okay, because I'm a Miami (laughs) alum. (laughs) All right, so let's just put it all out there, okay? Let's just put it all out there. Uh, I have no idea what was going on in the Colts game at that time because I wasn't going to write about it. I was going to find some other story that night, you know, more relevant to uh, the season at large and, and what have you. Just, you know, that's just kind of what we do at the athletic. We're not obsessed with, you know, a, a preseason contest on a Saturday night. So anyhow, my colleague, as you mentioned, Bob Kravitz, he was sitting next to me at the game. He looks down at his computer and he lets out a certain four letter word. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that certainly got my attention. And uh, so we all saw the tweet and, you know, certainly we're in a a day and age now where people do stupid things on social media. So my immediate reaction was, okay, this is fake. But of course I'm seeing the blue check mark and I've got one of those. I'm like, well, that looks real. And so we just had to process it. It was, I mean, look, we've all covered unexpected stories and, and big news, but, but this one was so out of the blue 
that you, you really had to process it and try to figure out, okay, did he, did he get hacked? Is this real? Could this be possible? And, and then once we realized something was really happening, we obviously mobilized and uh, we went looking for, for front office members. Um, and I immediately went downstairs to the locker room. The game was just about over. We knew Jim Mersey would be in the vicinity and, and found Jim Mersey. And uh, he was sort of, hustled into the locker room with his security and he told us he'd, he'd talk to us soon and he had this sort of serious look on his face and then we knew, all right, something's happening. And it, it got real really quickly. This in a matter of moments, um, we everything went into overdrive and it was probably the craziest uh, 90 minutes of my career, without a doubt. What did you find... Um, let, let's, let me go back in time a little bit because I'll, obviously I'll tell you my quick story on August 4th, 20 days before this announcement is made, I'm in camp and luck is bright eyed, bushy tailed. He's happy. He's excited. Uh, told, tells me there's no doubt he'd be ready to play opening day. Um, and obviously from that point on, he got a little bit more discouraging news about his calf ankle um, and the fact was he just, he, you know, he got in a little bit more pain, even from what I hear. And do you take him basically at his word that this is something that maybe he was thinking about some, but he certainly, uh, was not thinking about it, you know, even at the start or even a week or so into training camp. Yeah, I will say this, look, I have a lot of time with Andrew Luck over the years, and as have you. And the one thing I would say is that if you know Andrew Luck and you, you have experience dealing with him, uh, the, the more you deal with people in this business, you start to learn their level of credibility, right? And, and especially the people you deal with on a regular basis. And, you know, Andrew Luck's getting, I think, accused of, of dealing in deception here, and I, I just don't see it at all. I think what he told you is exactly the message and, and sort of the, the tone I had been hearing from him. And what I take from that is that that's where his head was at. He was doing everything possible to get back and to play. Uh, he spoke to us a couple of days before you were there. I remember the day you were in camp. And, and I remember we got much the same impression from him, uh, the local beat writers. And, and one of the things that I, I think we can take away from this was that, look, Andrew Luck, while he was not in practice, he was he was leading the first team offense in walkthrough every day. He was in every meeting. He was doing rehab for hours per day. Those are the actions of a man who intends to play football. So nothing Andrew Luck has, has done over the last several weeks uh, indicated he didn't want to do this. I think what happened is exactly what you said. Things changed in terms of the injury. It wasn't improving. And here, so here he is faced with the prospect of now going through another prolonged rehabilitation process, uncertainty, all those are things that beat him down in 2017 uh, to the lowest point of his entire life. Okay. Not his career, the lowest point of his life. And so the prospect of going through that again, I think was too much for Andrew Luck. And again, he played football for what he said, which was the joy. And these experiences sapped that joy. Andrew Luck wasn't out there for the money. He wasn't out there to be famous. He, he frankly hates being famous. <laughs> so when the joy left, 
Andrew Luck didn't want to do it anymore. I understand it. I, I nodded all the way through his press conference. I found myself nodding repeatedly over and over and over because I understood and I saw him live this. So I, I get it. Do you like Andrew Luck? He's great. He's, he is the most unique person I have ever covered, I think, in 20-plus years of doing this. Um, I mean, there's, there have been a lot of individuals I've covered who, who were unique in their own way, you know, for good and bad reasons. But, no, I, I love Andrew Luck as, as a person because, number one, he's so genuine. And I, I will tell you this, he appreciates everybody's role in an organization and whether it's fan or media or whatever, and I'll give you an example. Uh, they go to Kansas city last, uh, last season playoff game. They lose going away. And, you know, listen, I saw him come out of the locker room. He hugs Nicole, his now wife, a really emotional moment with his family. And, you know, it had been an emotional season, right? He comes back from that shoulder surgery uh, has all kinds of complications. This is 2017 and 2018. Great season. They win nine out of 10, get to the playoffs. And then it comes to a crashing halt and a, an ugly loss. So yeah, it's a really emotional moment. So anyhow, he does his press conference. He answers all our questions and he gets done. He walks off the, the podium and he proceeds to go down the line and shake the hand of every single beat writer in the room and tell us how much he appreciated how we treated him last year. And I'll tell you, Look, that is a very small gesture, but that is not something that is routine. And Andrew Luck, I think, for the, the magnitude of athlete he is, he, he never, I think, uh, let that go to his head in any fashion. And he always, always, always was, uh, was the same guy. And that's something I just really appreciate about him. Um, you know, it's really hard to do that, I think, in today's day and age where you know, celebrity is what it is, but, um, but Angel Luck never got outside of himself. And I, I don't think he ever will. You know, I'm thinking very seriously of picking the Colts to win this division in part, because I do think athletes love to have this feeling of, ah, you're throwing dirt on us now. So we'll see. <laughs> and I also think that they've got enough talent to maybe survive some shaky J Jacoby Brissett games. And I'm not sure he's going to be very shaky. I think he might be pretty good. But give me your feeling about the Colts season now and how you think Brissett will do. So let's back up a little bit uh, before Saturday night. Uh, if you'd have asked me about the Colts, I would have told you certainly Andrew Luck is a very good player and I think he's their, their key to success. But I also would have told you that it's not just Andrew Luck because it was my opinion, and it is my opinion, this is the best team the Colts have constructed since drafting Andrew Luck in 2012. And it's not close. Not close. The best team. The best defense. The best skill positions, especially when you factor in that, that really deep tight end room. Uh, certainly the coaching is top-notch. I think Frank Reich is the real deal. This guy is potentially an elite offensive coach, the offensive line, okay, might be the best collection in the entire NFL. So this is, this was going to be Andrew Luck's best team, which is one of the saddest components of this entire story, actually. But be that as it may, this sets Jacoby Brissett up to actually come in here and have a very good 
opportunity for success. Look, you can't underestimate the loss of Andrew Luck and the fact that the AFC South, in my opinion, it could be the most competitive division in the NFL. I mean, they had two playoff teams last year. I think it's very possible they could do that again in 2019. So this division is tough, and it's, it's going to be – uh, it's going to be more difficult with, with Jacksonville thinking they have upgraded their quarterback situation, right, and and just other things going on and other developments in the division. But but I, I think the Colts are going to have something to say about the outcome of the AFC South, and I also feel like Jacoby Brissett, uh, this team has immense confidence in him. Jacoby Brissett is a pro. Don't, ester- don't underestimate this kid. He has their total confidence, and he's a guy who puts in the work and they're going to be behind him. And, and remember now, Andrew Luck hasn't practiced at all with the starters this entire offseason in training camp. Jacoby Brissett has taken every stinking first-team rep. So he's ready. He's ready to go. This won't be a huge you also, Steven, you also made the point. You also made the point in what you wrote about Brissett that I read this morning that I had forgotten that in 2017, Brissett was sacked more than any quarterback in football. And in 2018, you know, the Colts offensive line allowed the fewest sacks in football. So this is, this is a unit that has been really built up well by Chris Ballard and is going to give Brissett, I think, a fighting chance. Yeah, excuse me. The, the key for the Colts is I think that offensive line, as good as they were as a pass protection unit, last year the one step they need to take is in their is in the running game and i think if they can do that if they can run the ball consistently the blueprint here is not hard right i mean we've seen teams win with something less than an elite quarterback it happens all the time right so the key though is you you got to do the other things you got to run the ball at least it, it, you at least have to have some some threat to run the ball right and i think they can do that marlon mack is, is an underrated player at running back. And then you've got to, on defense, you got to get to the quarterback and you got to take the football away. And they actually have the ability to do those things. Justin Houston, I think, for example, a big addition. They needed that. Their pass rush was very average last year. But I think they're a defense that has the ability to take the ball away. And they're, they're working on that even more this year. That's been a bigger point of emphasis. So if they can do those things, now Jacoby Brissett becomes, look, he's not, I'm not saying he has to be a game manager, but but certainly that takes some of the heat off of him. And as you mentioned, uh, you cannot underestimate the impact of all the hits Jacoby Brissett, Brissett took in 2017. Uh, it doesn't take long to start seeing ghosts when you're getting hit that much. So the type of quarterback he was then, I think he is going to be immensely different this year and just be much more confident in the pocket. Stephen Holder, I really, really appreciate you briefing me on everything you're seeing in Indianapolis, what you feel about this team going forward. A great, great education in the last 15 minutes. Thanks so much. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And now, a live podcast I taped with Philip Rivers at Chargers Training Camp in Costa Mesa, California. We're at uh, Los Angeles Chargers training camp. See, I almost did the s- sound. We're at Los Angeles Chargers training camp. I'm with Philip Rivers. We have a nice crowd of Philip Rivers fans here in Orange County. And uh, Philip, you uh, had your annual contest with Drew Brees out on the field. 
you got to explain what that contest means, how it started, and what exactly it is. Well, uh, we are at training camp. The fans have been great all uh, all camp here at the Jack Hammett Sports Complex here in Costa Mesa. So it's been a good camp. A uh, the, the quarterback challenge with the Saints, it kind of got started. This is now the third year. Drew and those guys have done it, and they've you know they've put it on their on their Instagram and on their website. And so we've always done it, but just hadn't really really publicized it. hadn't hadn't done it to that degree. So when he was coming out, I said, hey, we got to have a quarterback challenge. So we started a couple years ago. Now it's kind of taken on a whole new and life. And it's really it's like the old, you know, quarterback challenge that they used to do with the Pro Bowl. Yeah, right? it's kind of, it's kind of, it is kind of throwback and everybody's involved, all both QB rooms from both teams. And so it tied up at 1-1. So a grudge, grudge match will be tomorrow after walkthrough. Wow. Who won today? They got us today. We got them yesterday. And... Uh, <laughs> And Come on, it's Drew Brees. Yeah, How can you hate right. Drew Brees? Come on. <laughs> they got us today. Drew hit one at the, at the on his last throw to, to win it. So yeah. it was fun, though. Philip, let's uh, talk a little bit about where you guys are right now. I, I find it um, find it really interesting that you've got a lot of young guys on this team, a lot of a lot of really good young players, and yet you're really one of the most veteran teams in terms of the guys who you have to rely on all the time, starting with you. What does this team look like to you in this training camp? Yeah, I think you said it well. I mean, I, it's, it's, we got a lot of young guys that are, that are uh, really good players. And then you sprinkle in key veterans in every position group. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I'll leave somebody out, but when you go around, you think about adding a Thomas Davis. Uh, you had Pouncey at center last year, Brandon Meebane in the interior line. Um, you know, Casey Hayward's a, a veteran DB. And, you know, I could go on and on offensively. Keenan's, to me, a veteran player in his seventh, eighth year. You know, Melvin Ingram. So, uh, and then you throw in the young guys, the Derwin James, Joey Bosa's, and all those guys that uh, depending on Melvin Gordon uh, when we get him back and um, Mike Williams. So, uh, Everybody's important. Those are the guys that, that that I know you're referring to, and it's a nice mix of young and old. And uh, it's I think we're in a we're in a window here to have, that we have a chance, and we know we know you got to you got to get in to have a chance. It starts in the division and all those things, but we're in a nice little window here, much like the window we were in in 06 to 09, where we gave ourselves a chance every year. Probably should have won one two uh, and didn't, but I think we're kind of in that in that window to to make a run at it again. What did you? What do you remember about your feelings when you walked off the feeling field in Foxborough last January? You know, I was. It was. A, it was about as disappointed. I mean, you're disappointed after every loss, but I, I think an emotional. I, I was a little more emotional after that one because I just really it, to to get back in the postseason again, and then as as well as we played on the road, we won every game on the road all year. I thought we were going to win the whole deal last year. I thought that I thought last year was the year, and and to and to lose in the way we lost was just so – you felt so dejected, you know. So Because you know how long it is to get back to that point. It's a whole other year, and you're not guaranteed to get in. So it was tough. But I think for our football team to win close games again in Pittsburgh, in Kansas City, win a playoff game, we, you know, we got some things uh, done together that we had not done with this group. So I think that's a valuable experience for us moving forward. The mantra you live by is this Latin phrase called nunc cepi. Now I begin. And it strikes me that you must have to think about that every year at this time. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think about it every year this time. I think about it after a 
terrible interception uh, <laughs> begin again after a touchdown you begin again and and we use it at home you know as a dad our family tell I tell our children that all the time so how, how um, do you how do you do it with your family what do you say well I, I just think it's one of those things whether it's you do good or bad on a test or you make a mistake or you uh, anything that goes goes on you begin again you're always beginning again and uh you know, I, I just, it's something that struck me years ago and it was helpful to me because you always hear about finish, but how about just start again? And you're constantly doing that and, and really in everything. I mean, for me and my faith and my parenting as a husband, as a player, you're, you're beginning again in everything you do. Um, so when you look at right now the way the league is, you know, I was with Pete Carroll yesterday and he's 67. Tom Brady's 42. You're 37. When I think about you, I think about a guy who, if you want to, easily could play four or five more years. What has happened to change the, the sort of the demographic in football that allows people like you to play for so much longer, to allow Tom Brady to win a Super Bowl in his 42nd year on the planet? Well, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I mean, I, I think when you're speaking of Tom Brady or Drew Brees, they're both doing it in their 40s. They're unique guys. I mean, they are two of the, the best of the best in their position of all time. Um, but I do think the game, both the rules help a little bit. And I think – You where, mean in not getting beat up. Yeah, I think I think they protect us a little better. Obviously, they did 20 years ago. But – and I think the game schematically – with what's required at, at our position, it's almost more the neck up. If you can, if you can process quickly and be accurate with the ball and get it out of your hand to all these skill players that we have all around us, then you can play for a long time. And and that's what those guys have proven to do it at the best, very best. And uh, I think that's you know, I think it's the league's going to where they want you to be able to run and throw. And if you can, if you can do both, then those are going to be the most dangerous. You know, a guy like Carson Wentz comes to mind. You know, uh, those guys that can really run and throw it. Um, but I still think it comes down to third and eight, can you convert? Third and six, third and five from the pocket uh, with guys like Von Miller and Khalil Mack and these guys rushing you. Uh, it doesn't matter how well you run, they're going to get you. So you got to be able to sit in the pocket and make the throw. We've talked about this a couple of times, but I always – kind of admire how you don't sit there and wring your hands and say, man, I haven't won a Super Bowl. You know, you it's like I'm reminded of Jim Kelly after his fourth AFC championship loss. I said, the pain must be pretty bad. I mean, have you ever thought about, you know, doing something else or maybe not playing? Is it that frustrating? He goes, are you crazy? I mean, what else would I do that I would have one-tenth the amount of fun as what I'm doing right now? So... How do you sort of cope with all that, and do you feel like maybe in a society of winning is the only thing that we overplay that? Yeah, I think it can be. It's really hard to explain, and I, I think uh, it can be. If, if you just read read me saying this, you would say, golly, maybe he doesn't care, you know. But I think that uh, I hate losing bad as anyone, I love to compete, and, yes, we want to – I still think about those games in 06 and 07 and 09 and, you know, when we, we, we let them get away. But they don't make me miserable. I mean, they really don't. I had a coach tell me once, uh, John Ramsdale, when I was – this must have been 2006 or 07. He said, if it, your whole happiness is based on whether you win a Super Bowl or not, then you got a chance the question to be is, a which miserable new person. Cover, you know? which new so charger he suggested not letting everything ride on, on that. Team. And, and right, so, the, the I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, although I, uh, I want it really bad for us, for us, you know, for, for, for everyone, you know. And so – I, it's, uh, but I, I'm not going to – if we fall short, 
if I'm able to live to 50 and 60 and 70, I won't be less happy person at that point. It will be, there's times you'll be frustrated and I'll go, yeah, I can't believe we didn't get this and this and this done. But uh, it's not, it's not going to be what, you know, I live and die by. With Philip Rivers at Chargers training camp. Philip, I thought one of the coolest things last year was when ESPN had you mic'd up and it showed how angry you get on the field, and yet you never swear. You never curse. So I want to ask you a two-part question. When is the last time you cursed? And, and secondly, do you ever really want to curse? Well, I, I don't want to say this arrogantly. I can't remember the last time, I, and I, but I, can, I can't say 100% that I've never in my entire life. But... Uh, it's just a habit. I mean, it's a habit. I mean, it's just from early on. That's just that's just the way I've spoken. Um, and uh, no, I think I think I get it. I, I, as mad as I get, I, I, what you you hear, can get your what, frustrations out. What you hear is about it. Is about as uh, what comes to mind. It's about as mad as I am. So I don't I don't ever think, man. I wish I could be even more. I wish I could say something else. I, that's about it. So yeah. that's a, the peak of my my anger. The peak of your peak. Um, Two, two other things. I wonder, so we were in Miami Dolphins training camp, and I was talking to Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he had had his seventh child. And I said to him, I said, do you think you'll ever catch Phillip Rivers? <laughs> and here is his quote. He said, I texted him, and I told him, I can't catch you if you keep having him. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I want to know what is it like having Swiss Family Robinson around the uh, around the Rivers household. It's awesome. I don't know if he'll catch us or not, because um, uh, I don't know. I don't know where where we're going to end up. <laughs> but uh, is it possible you could go into double figures? Oh yeah, I <laughs> that's just one. We're just one away. <laughs> we're just one away. But um, yeah, it's awesome. I really feel very thankful and blessed. Uh, you know, my oldest is 17 now, and the new uh, little one's five months old. But it's uh, seven girls and two boys. But it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. So there's never a dull moment at the house. That's for sure. There's always a ball flying in the air, or somebody on rollerblades, or bicycle, or something going on. So there's, uh, there's a lot of, lot of, a uh, lot of, a lot of joy and noise and. A lot going on. How did you day. decide, you and your wife decide that you wanted to have not just a big family, but a very big family? I think we just we both want to be open. You know, both of me to open to whatever whatever God wanted for us. And uh, my my mom was one of nine, seven girls and two boys. And my granddad, uh, her dad, was one of nine, seven girls and two boys. So it's the third, it's the third That's generation amazing. of seven seven to two. When, I remember we found out my my granddad on my mom's side is 91 years old, and I remember we found out. You know, I mean, you never know at 91, right? And uh, and so I wanted to tell him, hey, we're ha we're gonna have nine just like you. And uh, and when I called him, he said, well, you don't need to find out what it is. I can guarantee it's a girl. It's gonna be seven and two. And it turned out turned out to be right. Are you the type that doesn't want to know? No, I like to know. Oh, you like to know. I feel like yeah. I know him better if I know it, if it's a boy or a girl. I feel like I get to know him over that nine months yeah. a little better than just going, we don't know yet. We've done it both. I like to know. What is the what is it like around the the Philip Rivers dinner table when you have when you have perfect attendance yeah. and you got eleven people? It's there? great. We try to every Wednesday and Thursday night in the season we sit down. We try to sit down together and and uh, it's awesome. I mean, I it's it's a little old school that I'm at the end of the table and I kind of I kind of. 
kind of uh, instigate the conversations and single them out and let you know see what happened in the day and hey you know you it's her, it's Sarah's turn now and okay now you go and just so it doesn't get too crazy and then it ends up kind of let it go haywire at the end and then cleanup time is always fun <laughs> you know you got the table you got the dishes and we got plenty of helpers so it gets yeah. done pretty quick <laughs> uh, finishing up with Philip Rivers Philip I uh, I took a tour of your new stadium in Los Angeles this morning. And um, first of all, it's big. It's like really big. The campus is monumentally big. But the one thing I thought was really cool, I was in your locker room and there's a lightning bolt in there, in the locker room. And I wonder when you look at it and when you think about it, this is gonna be a shared stadium. And I'm assuming you're gonna be playing next year, but it's gonna be a shared stadium. What do you think you guys have to do to make that stadium a real home field advantage for you? Well, I think win. I mean, win, winning is the biggest thing. Um, and I think this year's big. And, and that, and, and we're not thinking about that as players, but I do think that this year's, this season uh, will kind of help kickstart uh, us being in that new stadium next year. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to this season first. Uh, you know, that's far away, but uh, I haven't been in it. I've seen the pictures of it, and it looks unbelievable. So. Uh, when that time comes, we'll be fired up to be in there. You and and have you thought of ideal world? How much longer do you think you'll play? You know, I I really honestly can say at this point, I think it's just I'm taking them one year at a time. I, I think that's just the prudent best thing to do mentally, not to say, all right, I got three left, I got four left. I just you're 38 in December, got, right? 38 in December. I just I think. What do you feel like I'm right now? I'm fired up for next. I'm yeah. fired up. I know for <laughs> that I want to be in that new stadium next year. But I think yeah. one year at a time. I feel great physically. Yeah. I really do feel great physically. I uh, I'm also I, you know I, and maybe this is rare for a lot of guys. I, I'm also not as afraid of the next phase. You know I look forward to coaching my boys in high school and uh, my oldest is just a fifth grader, so we got a little time. But so I'm not. I, I'm excited about that part. It's not. I don't know what I'm gonna do when it's over. I go shoot. I'm gonna be on the sidelines trying to get these 15 to 18 year old boys find a way to beat the team across town. You know. So I'm fired up for that part. So that doesn't make me nervous about it. But I just kind of take them one year at a time. It's kind of interesting. Have you followed what Trent Dilfer is doing? Yeah. 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 He's a high school it, coach now awesome. in, yeah, in I read Tennessee. That article. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Would you? Do you think you would want to be a high school coach? Oh yeah. I think. I think. At least my des desire is to be coaching the very next year that I'm not playing somewhere. Yeah. So, got to have a few years to to get in there, or a year or so before. Yeah. Before Gunner's a junior in high school, I got to we got to be in be in the mix. Um, do we have? Yeah, we're gonna ask some in the crowd to ask right. like three questions for you. So go ahead. Can you just please say your name, where you're from, and then ask Philip the question? My name's Dane. I'm actually from Florida, Fort Lauderdale. So, since I moved here, I'm a Chargers fan, but now I'm a Pirates, uh, been a Dolphins fan. But good to, good to meet you, Philip. Uh, I had a question for you. Which which newcomer this year do you think is going to have the biggest impact on the team? Question is, which newcomer, which new Charger is going to have the biggest impact on your team? All right, thanks for the question, uh, Dane. I, I, I – uh, I don't know. It's still early, you know. Obviously, uh, uh, first-round draft pick Jerry Tillery is now in the mix, and and he, he's shown some some good flashes out here in training camp. Uh, Drew Tranquil, also from Notre Dame, is is, is flying around and, and around the ball. Um, those are young guys that that you first popped into my mind when you when you asked. But I think a newcomer that's an oldcomer is Thomas Davis, you know, from from Carolina. He uh, 
you know, it's unbelievable. He's played linebacker now. He's in his 15th season, and he played linebacker for 15 years. And he can still run. He still has a great passion. He's been great for the guys. We already have a good, strong leadership group uh, defensively, but he's really brought brought it to another level, and uh, it's been great to have him have him be a part of the squad. Over here. My name is Preston. Um, the question is, if you weren't a Charger, where would you be right now? I don't know. I mean, you meaning another team? Uh, gosh, that's hard to say now. After being in this long, I really don't think I could do it anywhere else. Uh, uh, but, um, I, you know, growing up uh, in North Alabama, the Titans weren't there yet when I was young. They were still the Houston Oilers. So the closest team was the Falcons. I actually pulled for the Steelers a little bit. Uh, but I was more of a quarterback fan. Uh, so, you know, I had Marino and Elway and Montana and, and Aikman and Favre and Manning. All those guys were on my wall growing up. So I was more of an NFL quarterback fan and a college football fan. So if that kind of answers your question. Yeah. Can, I, can I just interject one thing? I, I, I think the, maybe the other answer to the question would be if that trade didn't quite work out the way it did, uh, I kind of think he would have been drafted by Pittsburgh. So that would have been interesting. But go ahead, Dom. Hi, my name is Matt from San Diego. Uh, my question The question is, what is a good leadership lesson involving your faith that you've learned in playing in the NFL? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if this directly translates to faith. It does. But um, I, I, think, I think the biggest thing, I think, is just how, how, how in, in a leadership position, how you handle adversity is way more meaningful and critical than how you handle when things are going good. You know, I've always thought, you know, you find out about your true teammates when it gets a little rough. When things are going good, right, everybody's a good teammate, everything's great, everybody wants to work hard, everybody's fun in the locker room. What about when you, you know, throw an interception for a touchdown, which I've done <laughs> plenty of times. <laughs> and, and you or you lose a game late, and especially when you're in my position, you're going to be, you know, touching the football again every week, and they're going to, you're going to want them to count on you. It's how do you, how do you handle that adversity and know they're watching you and, and the ability to – and it comes over time. I can't say I'm an expert at it, but it comes over time to where you go – you don't have to tell these guys you care. You know, I think that's sometimes you think, well, hey, I hope you all know I really didn't want to throw that, and I really care, and I'm really sorry we lost. No, they can see you do it. What do you do What do you do on Monday morning and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, just by the way you go? And sometimes it means come out with energy on a Wednesday after you've blown a game on a Sunday and, and, and have some excitement. Here we go, let's go. And they go, wait a minute, didn't he just cost us the game? Oh, but if he's fired up, then we'll go too, you know. So I think – but that comes over time because as a young player, I remember thinking, man, just wanting to hide, you know, like feeling terrible for letting the guys down. And you still feel bad, but you know that you need to give them the okay to come on, let's go. Everything's going to be all right. And I think I think that does apply in in other parts of, of your life as well. We'll end on that. Philip Rivers, thanks so much and have a great season. Thanks, Peter.
And now my five minutes with a writer segment with Greg Bell of the News Tribune in Seattle. We are on the sidelines of Seahawks practice. And um, as you can probably hear, <laughs> we're going to be competing with Steven Tyler, Aerosmith, Rick Ross. I don't know who else. But Everyone possible. <laughs> Pete Carroll plays the music loud here. Now, watching practice here, Greg, as you've done for many years, and now you've got Pete Carroll blasting the music throughout practice. You've got a DJ here. <laughs> How long does it take for your ears to recover post-training camp? About February. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I, I feel like I'm getting older by the day out here, Peter, with the music. They all sound the same, same bass track, same A-B rhyming pattern. Uh, yeah, at least Steven Tyler was a little respite the last few minutes. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk a little Seahawks here. So, this strikes me as a fairly placid team. You know, there's certainly, it's a long time since Marshawn. You know, it's a long time since really, you know, some of the nettlesome things that happened at the end of Legion of Boom. Uh, no contract dispute with Earl Thomas. Describe the overall tenor of this camp, Greg. Peter, you're exactly right. It is a calmer the, guy, the two pillars of the franchise now are Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson, two all-in guys. They're Pete Carroll program guys, drafted by him, brought up, got the big, rich contracts, highest in the NFL at each of their positions. Richard Sherman is gone. Earl Thomas is gone. Michael Bennett is gone. The three most outspoken guys against the regime after they got paid and got their rings. And the, the tone is exactly different. They are company guys, Wagner and Wilson, and it's everybody's bought in. And of course, winning helps that. The year that Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett popped off about Pete Carroll's program getting old was the only year they missed the playoffs in the last eight seasons. So wow. uh, everyone's back on board. It's absolutely Russell Wilson's team. And they decided that their two pillars financially and on the field are gonna be Wagner and Wilson into the 2020s. You know, the way they're their wide receivers have gone over the last few years. It's interesting now to see that Tyler Lockett is basically the franchise guy. You know, all their all their big receivers, you know, the, the Jimmy Graham, obviously the Doug Baldwin at tight end and a wide receiver. So many of these guys are gone now. So how will this receiving core be? And how do you think Lockett will, uh, will do basically as a clear number one? He is, Peter. He's going to be the slot guy on third downs, but as much as Russell Wilson knows Lockett, he knew Baldwin better than, as well as any quarterback wide receiver combo in the league. Third down, red zone, that's where he's going to miss him. When it's third and six, Doug Baldwin gave him seven yards. Even if everyone in the yard knew it was going to him, even if he had double coverage, even if the ball was thrown high, they don't have that anymore. Russell Wilson doesn't have the innate sense of just head nodding to his slot receiver in the red zone and on third down to get the play done. It's gonna take a while for Tyler Lockett. He's gonna still be outside in early downs, so he's not just a slot guy. They still threw it fewer times than anybody in the league last year, Peter, as you know. They ran it more than anybody, and that's because of their offensive line's pass protection issues. I think it's gonna be the same thing this year. If they get into situations where Wilson's throwing 35, 40 times a game, he's gonna be on his back, and they're gonna lose games because they still have to run the ball to set up the pass. DK Metcalf, has been the star since they drafted him. The pre-draft physical freak has been everything that in more since they drafted him in the second round, traded up in the, get with New England to get him. Peter, he's a much more 
accomplished technical route runner than they thought. At Ole Miss, he was just bigger and faster than everybody at 6'4 and 229 and a 4'340. Well, he got here and he showed he can chop his feet. He can catch the ball away from his body with his hands. He can mix up his releases on the line of scrimmage against cornerbacks, it's veteran type stuff. He credits Jerry Sullivan, the 74-year-old guru that you know of, has worked with Larry Fitzgerald yeah. and others. He, Metcalf said that Sullivan really honed his fundamental skills, and Pete Carroll said Metcalf's even more special than they thought when they drafted him. How much? How much does he play? You've seen oh, in the in recent NFL history, even very high first-round picks very often struggle the first year or two because of the void behind Tyler Lockett. It's it's his ex wide receiver split end job to lose. I'd be very surprised if DK Metcalf is not starting week one against Cincinnati at the split end. Wow. It is really Lockett and a bunch of guys yeah. in, that in that receiving core. Jerron Brown, Keenan Reynolds, David Moore. DK Metcalf, that's why they drafted him, to be the big, tall, down-the-field receiver Pete Carroll has always wanted. He tried Brandon Marshall last year. He tried Mike Williams a few years ago. He hasn't had a consistent big X receiver to be opposite the little guys. He said his goal this spring was to get bigger and faster at wide receiver. That's why Metcalf's here. That's why they signed a 6'5 undrafted rookie, Jazz Ferguson, from Northwestern yeah. State, a former LSU top recruit. They want to throw the ball down the field because they think Russell Wilson is uniquely accurate to do that. But again, if they don't have pass protection, they don't establish the run to get the pass protection, he's not going to be able to throw down the field. In the minute we have left, let's do 30 seconds on two other players. Ziggy Ansah yeah. was was signed basically with a hope and a prayer that he can provide the pass rush that they simply have been lacking terribly, and especially now with Frank Clark gone. Biggest issue on the team, lack of pass rush. It's a pass and pass, pass, rush to passer league, as you know. And Ansah's not even going to be on the field perhaps till the end of August, maybe 1st of September, the shoulder surgery. Yeah, there's no guarantee time. he plays opening no, day, No, no, it's yeah. a very – it's a – Pay a la carte contract where he gets roster bonuses for each week to guard the Seahawks. I like that term. Him. It's an a la carte contract. <laughs> Very good. I was half no wonder you're a writer. <laughs> you know how it is. You know, only about half of his contract money is in per game bonuses. Yeah. So they're, the Seahawks are hedging against him not being ready for the start of the season. But without him, because they traded Frank Clark and made that decision to give the almost $20 million to Bobby Wagner instead, it's Cassius Marsh is the most accomplished veteran pass rusher. He's had five and a half sacks as his career high last year with the 49ers. Nobody else in the team has had yeah. even as many as that in a season. So they are counting absolutely on Ziggy Ansah on a one-year deal to be the pass rush guy. Jaron Reed suspended the first six games for the domestic violence. They need someone like Jaron Reed to step up out of nowhere to have a sack season they haven't yet yet. Peter, if they don't rush or pressure the quarterback, this secondary that's completely remade is going to get burnt, and they're not going to make the playoffs. All right, Greg, we'll finish with this. One of the most interesting players in the NFL is a guy who 98% of the people who are going to listen to this have never heard of. His name is Puna Ford. Yeah. And he is, I'm looking out here right now, he's about 5'10", maybe, yeah, maybe 5'11", about 3'15". And everybody in this organization, in this camp, says... Don't look at his height. He's going to be one of the best nose tackles in the league. Tell me about Puna Ford and where this guy came from. Undrafted rookie from Texas. The only reason he wasn't drafted, Peter, is because of his height. He may be 5'10". He's 3'20", 3'30". He plays at 
Big 12 Player of the Year is the last year at Longhorns. Stops the run, that's why he's here and made the team. But this in camp now, he's getting pass rushdowns as well because wow. they're so thin at the defensive tackle. Peter, he at 320 plus pounds, he runs sideline to sideline. He makes plays on screen passes. He's in on tight ends down the field. He's a motor guy who they can't keep off the field. And because Darren Reed's gonna be suspended the first six games, Puna Ford's gonna have a huge role this year on this team. He's a starting defensive tackle even when Ford's in there in practice. Everyone in Texas says, I told you about Puna Ford, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I believe it, seeing it. Is he a John Schneider guy? I mean, who who, who gets the credit yeah, for, the, for him? Yeah, his scouting staff in, in yeah. the Southwest in Texas that had an eye on him, and one of those deals where he said, hey, we're not going to draft you, but we're going to sign you right after the draft. Please yeah. come with us. It's worked out splendidly for him. This team's always leading or up near the league in undrafted rookie free agents. Puna Ford's the latest with greatest one, and uh, you're going to see a lot of PT both playing time on – Rundowns and passing downs. Last year he was a platoon guy, but he's earned more than that role. Greg Bell, News Tribune, out here in Seattle on the sidelines of Seahawks training camp. We have battled the music and we have won. <laughs> we won. <Greg>. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. My thanks to Carson Palmer, Stephen Holder, Philip Rivers, and Greg Bell. This was an action-packed, fun podcast. And be sure to listen next week when I'll have Freddie Kitchens, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Drew Brees on my NFL season preview spectacular.